Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? It's great to see you. We are wrapping up our four-week series on prayer this morning, How to Talk to God. And today I want to talk with you about something that I think is huge for most of us. And when I get at it by asking a couple of questions, here's the first one. If you were to ask me what is the single biggest motivator for you to pray, I would answer with two words, answered prayer. Answered prayer. When I pray and God answers, when there is a need and God provides in response to prayer, when someone doesn't know what to do and God gives really clear direction, or when someone has been away from God for 20 years and people pray for them and they finally, finally come home, or when I'm feeling anxious about something and I pray and it seems like for no earthly reason I find this sense of peace and calm from God, those kind of things just make me want to pray more. The biggest motivator to pray is answered prayer. If you were to ask me what's the biggest single demotivator to prayer, I would tell you that in two words as well. Anyone want to guess? Unanswered prayer. Someone would love to be married and they have prayed and prayed and prayed for years to meet the right person, but they never do. Or someone is wrestling with depression and they ask God to lift it, but it never, never seems to lift. Or maybe someone gets seriously cheated or wronged at work and they ask God for justice to prevail, but justice does not prevail. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would all admit that every single one of us in this room has been here. Amen? We have prayed and asked God for things, and we haven't received the answer that we thought we should. And, and when you have prayers, especially deep prayers that go unanswered over long periods of time, that, that can not only cripple your, your prayer life, it can even sometimes cripple your faith. So today, we're going we're gonna to talk about what we are to do when God isn't answering now, God's word, let's just be really clear about this, tells us again and again and again what we should do when God isn't answering. Let me just give you a few examples of this. God's word says things like never stop praying, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Let me just check real quickly here. Is, is that clear? Does anybody need me to explain that one? God's word says things like this, Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. God's word says things like this, Colossians 4, 2, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. God's word is clear. The praying when God isn't answering is hard. And we know we should persist in prayer. We know we should always keep on praying. We know we should never stop praying. But we do, don't we? We stop. So how can we never stop praying? How can we persist in prayer even when we're discouraged? How can we keep on praying even when our prayers feel hopeless? Well, Jesus tells us a story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, that really does give us power to persevere in prayer. And I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to get your message notes out. Uh, you will find on those notes a, 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 a copy of this passage of Scripture. I'd encourage you to have uh, your Bible open if you have one with you. And I want to read what we are told here. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them 
that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, Luke helps us out in this parable. We don't always get this with Jesus' parables, but in verse 1, Luke gives us some important information about what's following. He, He tells us that Jesus is telling a parable, and then he identifies the purpose of that parable. Now, we're going to talk about what that is, but I want to say a couple words about parables. You you need to understand there are some things that will help us to understand how to read and interpret those uh, stories that Jesus tells. And in brief, a parable is an extended analogy that often comes in story form, and it usually works by either comparing or contrasting things. In this case, Jesus is using this parable about a widow and a judge to convince his disciples to pray and not stop. And so I want you to remember as we read and work our way through this parable that it is an analogy and it presents some bold contrasts and some bold comparisons with the purpose of convincing us as followers of Jesus to persevere, to persist, to keep on praying. So I'm gonna give you two truths this morning that help us find power to persevere in prayer. We find power to persevere in prayer, first of all, when we understand who we are. We need to know some things about ourselves if we're going to persevere in prayer. And I want you to read with me verses two and three again. And as I do, I want you to figure out who Jesus wants us to identify with. He said, this is verse two, in a certain town, there was a judge, character one, who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town, character two, who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, two different characters. Which one are we? Well, the answer is we're the widow. We are supposed to identify with this widow. Well, why? What, what do you see? What do we see about this widow? Well, most obviously, let me point out that she used to be married. It's 930 and some of you aren't kind of awake yet. So just want to be clear. She used to be married. She's a widow. But we also learned that she had a problem. Specifically, she had an adversary. We're not told what this adversary was doing, but an enemy was harassing her, hurting her in some way. And so she's looking for justice. It's why she's coming to this judge. And then finally, Luke tells us that she is tenacious. She keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming to this judge with her plea. There is a reason for that just from the cultural context. First century widows typically had only a couple of choices in their lives. If a, if a widow left her husband's family to go back to her own family, then all the money that had been exchanged at the wedding, the, the dowry, the bride price would have to be returned. And financially, this was a, a huge deal. But if she stayed with her husband's family, then often 
she would be relegated to an inferior servant role. And there were many uh, times in the first century when widows were victimized and even sold into slavery or into prostitution. So it is evident, we know from the culture and from this parable that this widow was financially unable to support herself, but she's also legally unable to support herself. She's having to go and plead with this judge, and you need to notice that she's having to go and plead with this judge on her own. There's no one else to help her. So this means this is a widow who can't support herself financially, she can't support herself legally, and she has no support socially. She is at the end of her rope. She's out of options. She is vulnerable, desperate, and needy. And yet it is this very thing that brings out her persistence. I just want to ask you, as you think of your life, can you see yourself in her shoes? I want you to understand that we are like her in some ways and we are unlike her in some ways. There's some comparison and some contrasting that's going on here. And I think the interesting thing to point out is that we are unlike her where we, we, we think we're like her and then the reverse of that where we're actually like her, we think we're not. And I want you to notice why. So let's ask this question. How are we like the widow? Well, I've already said she's helpless. She's in a desperate situation and we are like her in this. Ultimately, we too are helpless. And we don't like to admit it, but it's ultimately true. And I just want to ask you today, this is so key to understanding about prayer. Do you recognize your helplessness? Now, I won't make you raise your hands, but how many of us would rather struggle and struggle and struggle, not get really anywhere, rather than admit that we have a need and admit that we're not in control? I will ask you to raise your hands on this one if you want. How many of you men would rather drive around lost than ask for directions? And if you won't raise your hand, I give your wives permission to raise your hand so that we can pray for you. We don't like to admit that we're not in control, right? Now, some of us are hearing this and saying, well, I don't want to do that. And in my saner moments, I recognize that I, I can't control everything. I recognize that I am ultimately helpless. You know, if you just think for a moment about some of the things that mark our lives, we would recognize our ultimate helplessness in so many circumstances. Some of us are helpless in the face of chronic pain or illness. Some of us are, are helpless with respect to rebellious children. Maybe we have broken relationships marred by unforgiveness or bitterness, and we, we really can't make them right. Maybe we're helpless in the face of massive administrative obstacles as we try to adopt children. Some of us are helpless with infertility. We want to start a family and we can't. Others of us are helpless because we're very lonely. Some of us are helpless because we grapple with mental illness of some kind. Some of us are helpless because we're struggling financially. We don't have a job or maybe you have a job, but it doesn't provide for you adequately. Or, or maybe you're just swamped with debt and you cannot see any way out. Some of us are helpless because we are trying to grieve the loss of a loved one. Some of us are helpless because we've been praying and we've been longing for someone in our lives to come to know Jesus, and that just hasn't happened yet. And the list could go on and on. Now, do you know what unites all of those things? 
All of those circumstances bring us face to face with the end of our rope, with our helplessness. We have a problem or we have a a pain and we cannot fix it on our own. I want to be really clear. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not saying that because we're helpless, we have nothing we could do. That would be a, a really big mistake. What I am pointing out is that recognizing our helplessness leads us to pray. Recognizing our helplessness should cause us actually to pray like crazy. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that it's time for us to lay down and take a nap. Helplessness is not the same as passivity. And in most cases, there are still actions that we can take. And that really is what we see this widow doing here. And so in your helpless situation, you might need to engage in a conversation. You might need to learn new communication skills, or you might need to do conflict resolution. You might need to work on a budget, or you might need to fill out another job application. You might actually need to do something about your parenting that isn't working. I don't know what it is, but usually, usually we need to take action in concert with our praying. And you will often find that when you pray, God gives you ideas and helps you to be propelled into action. Uh, One specific illustration of this connection. You know, there are a lot of guys who struggle with sexual purity, and sometimes, sometimes people think that the only way you can solve this problem is by praying. But anyone who's ever struggled here would testify that this is a problem that doesn't just miraculously go away. See, we we need to pray in our helplessness and we need to connect that to actions in our lives. In this case, we need to do things that minimize temptation, things like internet filtering, things like an accountability partner to talk to, things like making wise choices about our entertainment. There's a whole host of actions we can take. So saying we're helpless doesn't mean we're passive, doesn't mean we can't do anything. Here's what it means. It means we need God. We need God. And this really is the fundamental truth of the Christian life, and it's the fundamental truth of our praying. In prayer, I acknowledge I cannot do this on my own. I acknowledge I need help. I acknowledge I need God. And if we don't see our need for God, our ultimate helplessness, then we won't pray. I want to challenge you with something here, very specific. If you find that you are not a praying person, The most likely reason is that you don't think you're helpless. Somehow, in some way, you are trying to deal with your life in your own strength. Please hear me. Self-sufficient people never persist in prayer. And so if you find your prayer life is lacking, I am telling you that if you dig down to the bottom of it, you're going to find this issue right here because it is only when we realize our helplessness that we pray and that we keep on praying and that we don't give up in praying because we see in our helplessness that our God is our only hope. And that's how we are like this widow. How are we unlike this widow? Well, (laughs) where the widow persists, we give up. All too many times we give up, and what we see in her life is that her concern and her desperation compels her to this serious persistence, but all too often that's not what happens for us. We pray here, pray there, and we just give up. But why? Why why do we give up? 
And this is a good question to ask yourself, to ask God to speak to you about. Why do we tend to give up in prayer? Ask God to reveal that to you. I, I, I promise you, he'll tell you. Um, let me give you some possible reasons that could be applied to different ones of us. Part of our problem is we kind of live in a culture of quitters. We live in a culture that doesn't really value perseverance, and that has damaged our power to persevere. So much of our culture is really about instant gratification, and a lot of us have never really learned how to stick to something. We're just used to quitting. A lot of us quit because we're impatient. We live in an instant, I want it right now, I want it my way right now, cell phone, microwave kind of culture, and it makes us very impatient people. Some of you here a couple weeks ago, you may remember that I confessed my flossing sins to you. And uh, uh, you know why dental hygienists say that people tell them they don't floss? One of the biggest reasons people tell them is it's boring. Just think about it. I mean, assuming you have all your teeth, even then, it only takes about a minute, right, to floss your teeth. It's boring. Can can we admit we are an impatient people? I ran across a study by a guy named Philip Zimbardo at Stanford a couple of years ago, and he, he did this study, and he writes about how people become emotionally upset at how long it takes their computer to turn on. I'm surprised I didn't get an amen on that one. I mean, think about it. What does that say about us? We have access to more information than anyone in human history. We can communicate with virtually anyone on the planet instantly. We have all the learning of human history right at our fingertips, and it makes us so mad when it takes the computer more than 30 seconds to light up. I'm kind of like this sometimes with my cell phone. While I'm confessing to all my sins, I started with flossing. I'll talk about this one, too. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can dictate into my phone, you know, and I can, I can dictate a note to remind myself about something. I can dictate a text to someone or an email to someone. And, and so I will, I will dictate and take like 15 sweet seconds of my life to communicate this, and then I'll watch and it won't show up. That makes me so mad. <laughs> and I'm waiting. And sometimes it doesn't even show up at, at all. I hate that. Anybody hate that? Can I, can I just say this as someone who struggles with impatience? I want to say this to you, and I want you to hear this and take it to heart. If you uh, are willing to admit that you struggle with impatience, I'm going to tell you the reason why. Are you ready? The answer to the reason why we struggle with impatience is pride. It's pride. I'm an important person. I don't think I should have to wait. My life shouldn't be delayed by these little things or these people. It's, it's pride. And it's also part of why we don't pray. Can you see the connection there? Proud people don't pray. Helpless people pray. We also quit things because our role models have quit things. You know, everyone around us would lack commitment. That's all we know. It must be okay. And so when we, 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 we get into long-term things like a marriage or maybe like making disciples or like the mission of this church, you know, to, to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ across our region or even to our own personal spiritual growth, we've never seen people stick to things. And so we have a hard time 
understanding what it means to persevere sometimes. We, we quit also because of short-term thinking. We, we tell ourselves sometimes, I'm going to quit this because, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore. And the real reason is we just don't want to bother sticking to it. And reality is we're teaching ourselves how to quit the next time. Finally, I would mention that we quit because we've been burned, or to put it in one word, disappointment, especially in the area of praying. Some of us have prayed for something only to feel like our prayers don't go anywhere, and we have concluded God must not care. We've ended up deciding that he doesn't care, and we say, I'm just not going to pray for that anymore. Some of us, some of us have said, and you're sitting here right now, and you know this is true, you have decided I'm going to quit praying altogether. Well, for these reasons, and a lot more, we are sometimes far more practiced in quitting than we are in persisting. And this has enormous implications for praying. So we are just very unlike this widow in this regard. You may want to ask the question, well, how do we not quit things? Well, let me give you a real simple answer. I'm sorry it's not more profound than this. Just don't quit. Just quit. Keep at it no matter what. Just press on. Just decide to stick to your word. Just decide to keep your commitments. Just decide not to quit and then do it. See, if we, if we realized how helpless we really were and if we really committed not to quit no matter what, then we would persevere in praying because we would recognize that God is our only hope. So like the widow, we're helpless. Unlike the widow, we give up. And an understanding of who we are leads us to this conclusion that far too often we are helpless and we tend to give up. And I know that may not be really good news to hear, but this is why Jesus told this parable in the first place. This is our problem. So I want to encourage you, are you willing in your heart and your mind to own up to this, to be honest with where you are in your life? Remember verse 1, Jesus uh, tells his disciples this parable, Luke says, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This is the reason he's telling this parable, because we have a problem in this area. And we can start dealing with our problem by, by getting honest. Second way we find power to persevere in prayer is when we understand who God is. Now, maybe you remember the first message of this series, I, I, I told you that one of our problems in praying is we tend to think that prayer is about technique and simple tips and, and steps on how to pray. And I want you to see today with this parable that the, at the heart of praying is not learning technique. At the heart of praying is thinking biblically, thinking properly about who God is and who we are. And until we get those things right, we, we will never pray. This parable actually presents us a very uh, accurate view of God. I don't know if you've ever heard this statement. I love it from the the famous uh, theologian A.W. Tozer. He said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And he's right. See, if you think that God is unfair, if you think that God is harsh and kind of an ogre like this unjust judge in this parable, that is going to color everything about you, including your, your prayer life. But if you think about God the way Jesus longs for you to see him in this parable, then that will color everything about you. Um, I can tell you stories, so many stories about people who I've talked to in my office. This is kind of names and circumstances change. This is composite of a lot of people. 
but I've, I've talked to many people and they have told me in different ways, God and I are not on speaking terms. And when I've asked them why, what I usually hear is that God has let them down in some significant way. They, they've lost a loved one to death or they've prayed about something really big in their lives and God didn't answer the way they, they thought he should and so it's God's fault. God can't be trusted. God must not care. So why should I bother trying to talk to him? Why should I bother praying? You know, that really is the fundamental question in this whole area. Can God be trusted? Is God just? Is God good? See, what you think about God filters everything. Now, if you go back to verse 2, verse 2 tells us two things about this judge. Number one, he doesn't fear God. Number two, he doesn't care about people. He's a real peach, you know. (laughs) I mean, this is the guy this widow has to keep going to. I want you to pick the story up again in verse four. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, I want you to stop there. As we read this parable, which character are we to connect to God? And the answer is the judge. But as we do that, we need to be careful. We need to follow the same like and unlike pattern that we did with the widow. Some people read this parable and they mistakenly think that God is is just like this unjust judge. And so what you do in prayer is you bother God, you pester God enough, and finally he says, oh, all right, and he gives you what you ask for. But the Bible is absolutely clear that God is not unjust. I just want to ask you to think about this. Can you imagine Jesus telling a story that depicted his heavenly father as unjust? So what is Jesus teaching us? Again, let's ask these like and unlike questions. First, how is God like the judge? Well, the judge is capable of hearing and responding to this widow's need. And the judge's ability to respond includes the power to bring about her request, and so that tells us God can hear. He has the power to respond. And, then, and even though the judge doesn't want to, in the end, he rewards her persistence. So this tells us God hears, he is powerful, and he rewards persistence. So can we really say those things are true about God? Absolutely. This is part of the point Jesus is making. I want you to see something that Jesus is doing here. He does it in many places in the gospel. He makes a, 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 a move in teaching that uh, scholars, they have a fancy Latin word that I won't bother you with. Uh, I'll translate it for you. He makes a move from the, the light to the heavy. Sometimes it's, it's called from the small to the big. And uh, that's what he's doing here. Uh, One example that Jesus uses would be if a human father can love his children, then how much more does our heavenly father, God, love his children? That's moving from the light to the heavy, from small to big. And here Jesus is arguing that if the unjust judge is capable of hearing and powerfully acting and of rewarding persistence, that's the small side, then how much more capable of these things is God? 
That's the heavy or, or the big side. In, in verse seven, we're told that God hears those who cry out to him day and night. In verse eight, Jesus says that God does have the power to respond, that he, he will see that they get the justice they are looking for. In reference to rewarding persistence, Jesus asks, will he keep putting them off? And the implied answer is no. No, he won't keep putting them off. Like the judge, God hears, and God has the power to act, and God rewards persistence. That is how he's like him. So how is God unlike the judge? Well, in this, where the, just, the judge is unjust, God is just. Where the judge is uncaring, God is good. And so this parable is telling us that God is just and good. And I want you to see right here is the key to persevering prayer. Do you believe, really believe, that God is just and God is good? Now I'm guessing that a lot of us could affirm that God hears our prayers and God has the power to act and that God rewards our persistence, but then we find ourselves wondering, well, why isn't he rewarding my persistence? Why is God not answering my request? Why is God not acting in my situation? Why, why is he not hearing me? And we, we find ourselves wanting to say, you know, I've read these verses, Mike, about asking and seeking and knocking, and I've been asking, but there's no answers. And I've, I have been seeking, and I haven't found anything. And I have knocked and knocked and knocked, but the doors aren't opening. I want to give you uh, something that's not going to be on the screens, but uh, I want to give you several things that will help you kind of work through this issue of unanswered prayer. I came across this a long time ago. I don't even know who first came up with this uh, but I think it's a very helpful model uh, for dealing with unanswered prayer. And it talks about several circumstances that can happen in our lives. And the first, the first circumstance is when our request is wrong. Sometimes the thing we ask is not the right thing. It, it, it is wrong. James 4 tells us that you, you don't get what you receive because you ask with wrong motives. And so when, when our request is wrong, God sometimes says no. Sometimes God says no. But sometimes our request may be okay, but the timing is wrong. God has a plan and he's working out his plan and what we ask for isn't gonna happen yet. In this case, God says slow. So sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says slow. And then sometimes it's not a problem with the request and it's maybe not a problem with the timing, but the problem is with you. So when you're wrong, sometimes God says, grow. There's something in your life that needs to change. And many times this is in the area of unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, 18 says, if, if I cherish sin in my heart, God's not gonna hear my, my prayers. And Isaiah 59, two tells us that God's arm is not too short to save, but we are holding on to sin in our lives. He's not going to answer our prayers. And so some of us may need to do self-examination and we may need to grow. And so sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is slow, and sometimes the answer is grow. But when all things are right and when God is ready, then the answer is go. And so you may need to take some time to think about where you know, your request is in this kind of picture of how God is working. 
But then some of you may be asking the question, why does he even make us persist? I mean, why, if he wants to answer our request, why doesn't he just give us the things he wants to give us anyway? I mean, why do we have to keep on asking? And the ultimate answer to that question is, well, we're not God, and we don't understand all of his ways. But I've seen some helpful responses people have given that I'll mention to you. Sometimes this is also part of why we don't see God answering our, our requests in the way we would like. Sometimes people say that God wants us to persist, that we will appreciate him as the sole source of everything we need. Sometimes they say that God wants us to recognize that he is our only hope. And the more you persist, the more we're focused in on, on him as our only hope. Some say the more we plead and wait, the more we will value the answer when it comes. Some say at times there are larger things going on in God's plan, and so we don't understand what those things are. And then others say sometimes this process of perseverance purges our motives clarifies whether our requests are really about God's glory or our growth, or maybe they're just about our wants, things we have desires for. Now, having said all of these things, which I think are helpful to understanding why prayers are not answered in the way we would want sometimes, having said all of those things, here's what I want to direct you to in this parable as Jesus addresses this topic of persevering prayer. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't answer those questions of why. In this parable, he doesn't talk about it at all. Does that strike you as a little bit odd that Jesus would tell his followers, you need to pray and you need to persist in prayer, always pray, do not give up, and then he never explains why? I want to show you what he does. What Jesus does instead of addressing that question is this. Jesus appeals to the character of God. Jesus tells us about who God is. That's all he does. Jesus tells us in this parable that God can be trusted, that God is just, that God is good. Look at the words again in verses seven and eight. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. He appeals to God's character. And he doesn't say this because, you know, that's the right answer. And so there, just take it. He doesn't say this because he's naive or simplistic. He, he says this because at the deepest level, the most fundamental level, it is true. And do not miss this. He also says this because this is the most satisfying answer for us to recognize that God is good. I would say that it's actually more satisfying than any of those other answers or ideas that I have just mentioned. See, ultimately, we don't need to know why. We don't need to know what God is up to. What we need to know is that God is good. God is good. I just want to ask you, how much different would your prayer life look like if you believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is good? How much different would your prayer life look like if you believed that in the goodness of God, he is for you? See, Jesus, you need to be reminded, didn't just tell cute little stories about stuff like this. Jesus actually lived and experienced this to a degree none of us ever will. You say, what are you talking about? You remember the, the story of the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus was crucified? 
Do you remember Jesus praying there? Do you remember how he prayed in agony? Mark 14, 32 to 36 tells this story. Mark writes, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Question. Did Jesus receive an answer to his prayer? Now, on the one hand, we might say that the the take this cup from me prayer wasn't answered because he went to the cross. But on the other hand, I think when you stop to think about it, we can say that absolutely, positively, this prayer was answered in its entirety because Jesus' prayer was ultimately about this, not my will, but yours be done. That prayer was answered because God accomplished his will on the cross. The writer of Hebrews also tells us that God answered Jesus' prayer. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. And and Bible scholars tell us this is certainly referring to Gethsemane. He offered them to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus was heard. Jesus knew that God is good. Jesus knew that God would do good. And so Jesus prayed, and he prayed persistently. Jesus prayed, and he never gave up. You see, if we have an accurate view of ourselves. We understand who we are, that we're helpless, and that we have a tendency to quit. And if we have an accurate view of God, we understand who God is, that he is good, that he does hear us, that he does have the power to respond, that he does reward those who pray and persist in prayer. If we believe those things and live by those things, we will persist in our praying because we know that God is our only hope. And so Jesus is just telling us, never give up, never give up. It's always too soon to quit. I want to close by making a brief comment about the very last line of this passage. Maybe we know, you notice we didn't talk about it it yet. And maybe you even thought as we read it that it seemed a little odd, like it might not quite fit in the context of everything that's been said. Jesus ends verse 8 by saying, however... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And it's, it's like he just makes a 180-degree turn, this huge switch right at the last second. Why would he do that? Well, I think what he says here gets at the heart of a tendency that we all have when it comes to discussions of prayer, a tendency we all have to inappropriately turn the tables. Here's what I mean. You know, when you talk to people about prayer and about the struggles we have in prayer, eventually they will say, and you probably found yourself saying, or maybe you don't want to say it, but it's really what you thought. Um, when, when you realize you don't persist in prayer, you don't stick with it, you don't keep on praying for it, you, you, you will find yourself saying, or you'll hear someone saying, oh, I don't really pray anymore because God didn't answer that prayer, so why, why should I keep on praying? And when we do that, suddenly... Everything has changed. We've turned the tables. The conversation 
is no longer about our lack of persistence in prayer. The subject is, why isn't God answering? And we put God on trial. We don't put our praying on trial. Jesus' comment, I think, is to make sure this doesn't happen. See, we may be tempted to think that the reason we stopped praying is that God didn't answer our prayer, but that's really not the issue. The the issue is whether we will continue praying or not. So when the Son of Man comes, he won't be inspecting if God has done his job or not. God has done his job. I can promise you that. But God will be asking us, have we done our part? Have we prayed? And have we continued to pray? And have we persisted in praying? And that's a very important question to ask as we conclude this series. I, I've told you over these weeks that, that prayer is an invitation from God to be in relationship with him. And he wants us to pray. He, he invites us to pray. What an incredible privilege it is for us, the creatures, to be invited to talk to and to hear from our creator. And we've seen some, some calls to do this practically and, and to devote ourselves to praying. And so the real question now is just what we do, what we've heard. Will we have the faith to believe that God is good and God is just and he hears us when we pray and we can trust him to answer in the way that's right and best for us? Will we persevere and pray. See, let's pray that the answer to that question is yes when Jesus comes. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and we're going to pray together. And I just want to encourage you as you have heard God's word, I know that by his Holy Spirit, he has spoken to our hearts. He always does. He is so faithful to do that if we're listening to him. And I'm sure that God has has touched you and spoken to you in different areas from this story. And so whatever God has said to you, will you just open your heart up to him right now in prayer? Will you just tell him you're available? You want to do what he said? And if you're not sure how, then ask him about that. Let's just pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you invite us to pray. Lord, we're thankful that you teach us how to pray. And so today, Father, would you remind us by your Holy Spirit that you are good, that you do invite us to pray, and that you do give us the strength to persist in prayer. God, we ask that we may be a praying people, that we may prioritize prayer in our lives, Lord, so that we can know you. And also, Lord, so that we can see you work in our own personal lives. Lord, in the lives of our families, in the life of this church, and Lord, across this community and across this region, Lord, even out to the the entire world, we pray, Father, that your will be done, that your kingdom would come. We pray that up there would come down here, that earth would be as in heaven. We pray, Father, that you would do it. And we trust you to answer our prayers, Father, because we can. You are good. We pray all these things now in the name of your Son, the name of our Savior, 
Jesus the Christ. And everyone said,